Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Christmas special of Hidden Histories. Thank you so much to all of you who subscribe to Hidden Histories. It's really not an easy thing to run a podcast, And it's the lovely messages and feedback and support that I've had from all of you that keep it going. So I've been incredibly busy the last six months producing a series for BBC4 on the execution of Charles I. It comes out tonight at 9pm, so go forth and watch it. There's a lot of hard, hard work that has gone into the production and I was fortunate enough to work with some of the best people in telly. So it would mean a lot to me if all of you watched that. 2020 is looking very exciting for Hidden Histories. Lots more great guests lined up and possibly a new collaboration, which will be revealed in the new year. Now, as Christmas specials go, I'm pretty pleased with this one, for he is a very special, very lovely and very talented guest. The international man of history, the broadcaster, podcaster, producer, writer and historian Dan Snow, MBE. Now, Dan is very modest in his involvement with this podcast because it was actually on the back of his wonderful History Hit Network that Hidden Histories spread its fledgling wings and over the last nine months has subsequently grown. So thank you, Dan, for your support. Now, Dan has a career that we all envy. And as a self-proclaimed generalist, he is really one of the few historians who has a general understanding of history from the 5th century BC to the Cold War rather than a specialism which is usually born from academic study. However, Dan has proven that his input as a generalist is hugely important, inspiring old and young globally to take an interest in the study of the past. He talks about his career, the remarkable experience he's had, and what you can do to start broadcasting and blogging about history, just as he does. Please rate and subscribe. And above all, enjoy this Christmas special and all of you have a wonderful Christmas. Dan Snow, welcome to Hidden Histories. Thank you very much, Helen. What a, what a treat to be on. Well, I think, you, I mean, the Hidden Histories wouldn't actually exist if it wasn't for you. It was the, um, it was the, the history hit that started it in the first place. It came out of that stable. Well, you know, you're it doesn't, I mean, that might be, we might have had a very small hand in it, but it's all because of your um, passion and expertise and enthusiasm that it's all happening. So well done you. Thank you. But we're going to talk about general history and your career as a as a general historian. A general I mean, something, yeah. A general something. But you, I mean, you presented your first programme, what, 
18 years ago oh after a cursory Wikipedia God. search. <laughs> I, that might be true. It might be 18. Yeah, I think, yeah, 17, 18 years ago. That's true. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I've had a very odd life and um, I really don't know how to define it. But, but yeah, so, so I was, I did undergraduate uh, history degree and I was all ready and excited about the next stage and I was going to do postgraduate study probably around the 18th century or rather the uh, very early 9th century, so Napoleonic Wars period. And then I, I was rowing in the Oxford and Cambridge boat race and somebody at the BBC saw that and suggested a programme. Because you know, I was talking about history, they have to, as you'll know from watching the Oxford Cambridge boat race, it's a very boring event. So they have to fill it up with videos of students sort of going to the library and doing whatever. And I, I, I went on a kind of weird little tour around Oxford with the camera crew and talked about some of the buildings and some of the history. And someone at the BBC and development department saw that as just a programme. And then that programme, the idea got twisted and moved around. And eventually they stuck me together with my dad, who was a journalist, and we made a, we made a programme together. And, and, uh, and, and one thing led to another. So really it was a kind of, I mean, obviously just a blinding stroke of luck and extraordinary, um, you know, a huge privilege. Uh, and, and here I am. And I've sort of, yeah, and I've just been doing, I, I've tried, you know, I've done a few books and podcasts and TV shows and various things ever since. I was going to say, I mean, it's it's just gone from step by step, hasn't it? You've got your own history channel, your own history podcast, and now you've also got an MBE. It's been a big year. Yeah, I guess I was just about young enough to be a sort of digital native. And I guess I, I walked into an industry that was just in the last few years of, of, of um, of what it, a previous incarnation which had been it was one you know bbc2 was one of only five channels that most people had and and yet i i was kind of on the internet and i was watching videos and things online and i i was aware that that this was all about to suddenly change so for, right from the beginning i was quite keen to do history and take history onto these new platforms and do new and see what the history could offer and i was really excited because it was very clear to me when I made a program about the Battle of Hastings. The last place you wanted to watch a program about the Battle of Hastings was in your lounge, watching the telly. You wanted to watch that when you were out and about on the battlefield, or you know, looking at the landscape. So, the idea that you could have portable video um, sounds so so old fashioned already. Talking about this, but that just seemed to me really, really obvious. And I've just spent the last decades now, goodness me, I've spent I've spent that trying to work out how you can pay for that and how you can make that and how you can get that as a high quality and so that people can watch history wherever they are. And of course, if they're on the Battle of Hastings, that helps, but they can be in any field or any house around the well, world. I think you've always been pretty forward thinking with that sort of thing. I mean, you were probably, I think you probably pioneered the history podcast. I mean, you had the, you had the sort of catch up BBC ones like in our time, but you really carried it forward and you had the guests, you, you, you really made, do you think the, the history hits the brand started out of that podcast? Well, I, we, for years, I was trying to work out ways. It, it just, I think lots of independent scholars I meet and authors and historians who don't have academic tenure, they're all trying to work out a way of supporting themselves doing it. And people do mm. tours and they do uh, advice, in, um, the consultancy with museum sector, heritage sector. They do, you know, speeches, uh, they write books, of course and do television and consulting work and all sorts of stuff, right? And mm. and I was in the same boat. I was just thinking, this is really very exciting to be working at the BBC, but it's clearly really insubstantial and transitory because if someone comes in who 
quite rightly just goes, who's this Dan Snow guy? I've got no interest in having him on the channel. Then I'm doomed. My, my, my career is in, in like a very small number of hands, a very small number of people kind of control my career. And as you get older, that's my goodness. That's like your mortgage and your kids' futures yeah, and everything. Yeah. So it's quite scary. That's the thing about telly. You never, you never know until you know. No, you never you know. know. What I mean. Yeah, you never know if it's going to happen until it's fully like signed off. It's definitely happening. And that can be days before something even gets going. So totally. you're right. You do need to carve something out that is yours. Totally. And I, and I also was really aware that because in a way I could, it was the danger was I was building my house on sand because I wasn't becoming an area expert. I wasn't becoming, you know, the greatest, you know, world's greatest expert on on the Carthaginians, which meant that whenever there was a TV program about the Carthaginians, you, you kind of had to be consulted, although that's sadly not true. Um, so, so I was kind of aware that I was in danger of spreading myself really thinly, and I was very vulnerable to a change of fashion, change of the wind. And so I, I, we tried, I tried making apps for iPads and back in the day. I don't know if you remember, there were those sort of periodic I remember tables you doing and, that, yeah, yeah. And all beautiful apps. So I started this thing called sort of History Hit and tried to, I mean, I belatedly tried to start something on YouTube. I did some, we did made some apps for, for um, quite beautiful apps, actually, a timeline of World War II, which is still one of the, I'm really proud of that. But, you know, again, people didn't, it was hard to make, it's hard to get those, it's hard to get people to buy them, basically. And then a wonderful friend and colleague called Dan Morell said, what about a podcast? And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. But, you know, I thought that podcasts were um, really, like, old-fashioned. I remember, I remember listening to, like, Ricky Gervais' podcast in, like, 2000. And so in 2015, it felt like they were really, it was past the time, but it turns out that was actually the beginning of the, it was the yeah. beginning of a sort of second great huge bubble. Now everyone's got a podcast. I mean, it's I, huge. I mean, yeah. It's nuts. And so I was just, again, very lucky uh, to get, to get in there and a little bit early, but no, I, I think, you know, history, history magazine's got wonderful podcasts. They were going for years before me. So I can't claim to be an innovator there. I came in late, but I came in hard. <laughs> Well, I listened to all of them and I th I think yours was, I, I think I enjoyed yours the most. And I, you know, I probably shouldn't say that, but, <laughs> but I mean, so you write, you, you know, you write books, you make TV, you appear in front of the camera. So, you, you know, you're a big, you're a big part of behind the camera as well, especially with history here. Um, what do you think your favourite part of the job is now? Definitely. When I was young, it was, I was very, was so, you know, narcissistic and enjoyable to pr prance around on camera and have people think that was quite cool. But now uh, as you get older and you, the, the real satisfaction comes from definitely doing a bit of work behind the camera. Like I love scripting and deciding what films we're going to make on history hits and, and, you know, cutting in using these wonderful experts or eyewitness veterans or whatever it might be for a second world war film and, and using their voices in the right place and trying to kind of craft something. So that's mm. really, that's really, really exciting. Um, I, but I, but it's still nice to be responsible for telling the story. It's still nice to have the words coming out of your mouth because then you, you've got kind of oversight of the process from end to end. Um, and I, and that's, and that's lovely. And I guess the, the funnest bit is still going somewhere where it is, where, where you're really responding to the environment you're in. Either there's an archaeological dig which is unfolding in front of your eyes, or you're, you know, there's the result of the DNA analysis is you're being told it and you respond to it, or you just go somewhere completely amazing. Like recently, I went to Timbuktu uh, with the with the Red Cross, uh, and you are able to then, you know, be you're able to tell that story, but as you're experiencing yourself, and that that is a, that is such an exciting and. A wonderful thing to do. So that's that's still. I'm very, look. I'm so lucky. The day I, I I landed my first ever TV show in a battle about the battle of Alamein, and I landed in Egypt, and we drove out and across the desert in a jeep, and I thought this is heaven. I can't <laughs> believe my luck. I'm, 
Uh, I'm yeah. I'm telling the story of this of this great campaign that pe- I've heard about ever since I was a kid. I'm, you know, I I, I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm gonna say the words like Africa Corps and Rommel and and bombardment. You know, these kind of words that you've only read about or you've heard people on telly or. Or, or lecturers say, and I, c- I can't believe I'm going to form those words and, and put them into sentences and try and explain them to people. It just felt like a, a different. It just felt like something I never thought I'd be doing. And then, and then to do it in Egypt, to do it having the adventure, and the, and the car would get stuck in the sand, and we'd have to dig it out and tow out the other vehicle. It just felt like I was just felt like I was living a life less ordinary. And I couldn't believe my luck, and I still can't. I still can't believe my luck. So, so it's that basic excitement of doing of going to the places and telling the story that I still feel, I have to say, I still feel almost two decades later. And and really, well, I mean, that that is, yeah, I just, yeah, it's lucky. But it is exciting as well, because often what you what people don't know is when you work in telly, you actually get to touch artefacts or go to places, be allowed into locations that you wouldn't get to do if you were doing any other type of research, because there are so many different doors open to you when you're doing TV or you're doing something for media purposes you do get to experience some quite unique and amazing things don't you yeah i mean that's you're absolutely right because of the the tyranny of t- i mean i do wonder if as tv dwindles in terms of its audiences and its reach maybe that maybe the next generation maybe all these millennials who are like the new curators and the new the, the new archivists will be like who do you think you are, man? It's not, you know, I don't like get your hands off that document. But certainly, yeah, I, I benefited from being at the tail end of a, of a world in which to be on TV was everything, you know, so, so yeah. to be for a charity, for a museum, for an organization, for a political party, for a business to get on the telly, especially the BBC was like, oh my goodness, this is a, this is a guaranteed audience of millions and millions of people. So, so yeah, I've, I've, we, we you know, we, we arrive, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've handled the, the, the the French Constitution of the early 1790s, where they tried to, where they where they tried this sort of balanced constitution, where the, where the, where the, so the king was still in it. It was before uh, the king King Louis had been tried and executed, and they'd gone for a more radical republican option. And I remember handling that in the archives in Paris, just thinking this is just a, a you know an unimaginable uh, experience. And and the same is true of of as you know documents, letters, sources, manuscripts, whether it's the the manuscripts that were smuggled out of Timbuktu that I've recently uh, been lucky enough to see in Mali as they're undergoing as they're undergoing restoration, or, or like Captain Captain Bly, that the, the tiny little artifacts in the National Maritime Museum with which he sustained himself and his crew in the open boat after they were kicked off the bounty, uh, you know whether it's you know what he used to navigate or what he used to to measure out the rations or the water the, the rainwater the freshwater ration. So yeah, I've I've handled extraordinary things from different periods uh, right across history and right across the world. And with that, we've talked about this before, the value of general history, and there is so much within history that's put on expertise. And obviously there is so much to say about expertise and it's so important. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't do your job if there wasn't people who were experts. But I think there is a value in being a general historian as well. Why do you think that's so important, particularly today? Well, I think, I mean, I, the, the, my my job description is something that causes a huge amount of, of um, upset with people, and um, I guess I, I I've always just looked for a short. I've always looked for a way to describe it. So what I do is every day I talk about history, think about history, write about history, and broadcast history. But I, I, you know, and, and if 
sometimes it's easy to call yourself a history broadcaster. A, um, Greg Jenner, wonderful, he calls himself a, a public historian. Mm. Um, you know, so that Jen, you can call yourself. I, I have. I'm actually very relaxed about people, and some people just go like the guy's a journalist, and, and again, that's kind of fine. You know, I yeah, I'm a, so I, I, I don't really mind. Um, it just strikes me that given all, all I, the only area in which I work is is history. Therefore, I, I kind of, I, you know, I'm a public. Well, actually, I try not to call myself anything really, because because it just is. Um, it drives people totally understandably um, crazy sometimes. I so, have the same thing. It's, it's really difficult. Sometimes people say, what do you do? I'm like, well, a, a, a producer, public historian, a, histori- a historian, medievalist? I, yeah, I don't know. a history yes. writer. I'm someone who writes <laughs> right, history books, yes. but I'm not yeah, a historian. Exactly. Like, so, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I'm I'm the one who's been very privileged to do this. And if, if, if people especially in the academy, you think, well, you don't get to call yourself a historian, then that's fine. I mean, that's, I'm very, very relaxed about that. So, But in terms of what the job that I do, which is to, to kind of a very shallow but quite wide like discussion of history, sharing of stories, sharing of other people's expertise, um, amplifying historians' work, uh, which I hope I do on the podcast and through other ways. Yeah, I think, of course, there's a role for that. And I, I quite like... And Absolutely. I, and, I, and I quite like being a, a generous, quite like being a... You know, whatever even the word is, um, and and that is, it's it's an, it's it's such a treat to to go and meet with wonderful historians uh, on a, on a you know on a day by day basis, and then and talk to them about their work, and and then it's you're always the stupidest guy in the room. It's lovely because you're always the guy who goes, I kind of know a little bit about. Portuguese intrusion into the Indian Ocean in the 15th and 16th centuries and you're like trying to keep up but you can't really but you're enough to vaguely keep the conversation going and then you stagger out of that and you're then talking about um, the Eastern Front in the Second World War and you stagger out of that and you're talking about domestication of of, of crops um, in, in you know at the very dawn of history and, and it's great and, and that's exciting and I hope I've been able to be a be someone that can help to sit between uh, the academy, the experts, the real historians, whatever, and and the public. And uh, and I, I, I that's where I feel that I am. And, and I have, well, that's all really all I've ever wanted to do. I mean, I, you know, I've written, I've kind of probably written one proper history book really in my 20s when I was desperate to prove myself. And I wrote a book about the Seven Years' War. And I got sort of, I went, you know, you go mad. You just become an expert in the in the North American theatre of the of the French Indian or or Seven Years' War, however you wish to name it. And I just I just kind of went a bit bananas, and I ended up worrying far more about my end notes than I was worrying about the narrative, because I wanted to impress the kind of four people in the world that knew more about the the, the seventeen fifty nine campaign that culminated with the t- capture of Quebec in uh, in Canada. And I thought actually I I don't think. There's so many people that are doing this better than me. There's so many wonderful people that are steeped in in these the sources and have become area experts. But what I think I can do is is kind of play a, a play a role where actually, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just hopping from period to period and and trying to amplify it and trying to engage and try and enthuse about it. Um, and I don't think you know I, I, people often say uh, mean things to me, but I don't think that I'm in any way uh, distracting attention away from. I'm not convincing people that would otherwise have read an in-depth history of Chinese naval exploration in the Indian Ocean. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm saying, don't read that, come and listen to my podcast. Like I, I think actually oh gosh, anyone, who, anyone who listens to podcasts or engages or watches those TV shows is probably more likely to read 
the specialist literature. And, and, and I, you know, a, a historian once very kindly said to me when I was having a kind of crisis of confidence when I was in my late 20s, he goes, no, you know, rising tide floats all boats. They, list, they watch your shows and they buy my books. I'm thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, know, you know, you said, oh, the stupidest person in the room. I don't think, I mean, I don't agree with that at all. I think it takes, it takes a lot of skill to be able to navigate that, um, as you say, that very shallow water between the academy and the general public. It's not easy to be able to, to gear an interview in the correct way, especially with somebody who has so much knowledge and detailed knowledge on something so vast or so intricate it's it's it that is a skill in itself and actually is is quite hard work um and it's something that you know i've sort of looked to you to learn from how to do myself and it's it's really it can be really tough well it's um, tough. it gets easier as you get older and a bit more confident you stop <laughs> worrying about people thinking you're stupid like that's the nice thing so the nice thing about my situation now is i love asking stupid questions like i love just going hold on hold on hold on i've completely forgotten who Henry the Fourth was like, and so so please remind me because I've got no idea, and that's really nice. Like, so that's great that if you know, I, I don't. If people are listening, if we if I've dragged people this far and they still think I'm an idiot, then they're right. I'm probably an idiot, and and I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to change their but opinion. But isn't that really. nice that the general public have somebody like you who's able to ask those questions? Well, uh, that's a very nice question of you to ask. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I I, I mean, I hope. Um, you know, there are times when. I get things wrong and people correct me on my Twitter feed when I'm putting out and, and I get hugely embarrassed, I get mortified, you know, and I think, oh God, am I part of the problem? Am I, am I one of these new like fake news phenomena just pumping out and it's just actually worsening people's historical understanding? And you know, of course, on your bad days, that's the terror. All I can say is you just strive to be better than that. You strive to be good. You strive to, to, to improve and, and make sure that you're, you're, not, you're not being that guy. But we're also getting history wrong all the time. I mean, it's, you know, that that's a whole other subject. Who owns history? Whatever. That's a whole other thing. But you know, we're all, we're always getting every everyone gets things wrong. I mean, it's such a vast subject, isn't it? It's like I bet you're the most amazing person to have on a pub quiz, though. Well, I'm um, well, I'm actually um, rubbish pub quiz because I'm unfortunately I'm all right at the history round, but I'm terrible at everything else. I'm, like the 1980s sport is just really hard. But also, uh, the trouble with history is a lot of it, Helen Carr, and. You, everyone looks at the, everyone at the history round. Everyone kind of just throws their pencils down the desk and on the table and just goes, right. Well, I'll go and have a pint. And then you're expecting anything you get wrong. It's like mortified. <laughs> I so know, actually, I, I sort that. of slightly I dread pub that. quizzes because <laughs> they go, oh, now the next question is, you know, about French politics in the 1970s, and you just go, oh god, yeah. I so so um, it is, but it's. Uh, it is, you know, like ancient Athens, and you're just like, oh, ancient I don't know. Athens. Yeah, well, I quite, like the old, quite like the old fifth century BC. I'm all right at that because I, you know, that's one of the things. You, it is odd when you are in when you make programs for TV, you end up absorbing what everyone else thinks is history. So you end up like in my personal, my kind of personal interest is very much 18th century, and then other bits dotted around, and then for the podcast, I go all over history. But what's with TV? It's going to be like ancient Greece and Rome, um, a bit of high medieval, so a bit of kind of castly, you know, ye olde. And, Ooh, and then... So and 1066, then, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, often often with a little visit to 1066. And then, and then a lot of First and Second World War. And I've ended up... I, I, to be honest, the dark, my dark secret is that I was never that bothered about the First and Second World War at university. And, and Which is so up. funny because I feel like you're kind of the... You're really the BBC's... Pin up for that. I mean, now. I just bought, but no, but they, you know, but there's a huge public appetite for it, and so I've ended up. And of course, actually, I love it now because it is, it is totally extraordinary. I can totally see why people lose themselves and why there's a certain type of strange 
middle-aged history fan that just like disappears into the toilet to read three hours about the Third Reich. Because it is, it is this kind of utterly monstrous example from incredibly recent history. Yeah, yeah. It's of, baffling, of, actually. It's baffling. When you really think about it, it's baffling. Yeah, and it's, gen- it's, 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 it's a society so like ours that dissolves into genocide and extremism on a kind of on an epic scale. And it is also the largest and most destructive war, the Second World War, and if you like, together, the First and Second World, the great crisis of the 20th century, are like, is the largest, most destructive event in human history, like a military event. Tens of millions of people killed, wounded, displaced, entire societies reshaped, empires. Like, it's not wholly surprising. And, and loads of our granddads fought in it, and our grandmas. It's about, it's about so it's say, not yeah. hugely yeah. surprising that everyone's kind of into it. Like, it's not... I don't sit there going, still oh. ask people questions about it. Who were they? Yeah. And that's amazing. And I live in Southampton, and the entire city was reshaped by it. Literally, the architecture of this city, the character of the city. So it's not, again, I, I don't think that people are weird. I mean, if everyone was just sitting around totally obsessing about the Crimean War all the time, that would be a bit like, that would be kind of a bit niche. I'd be like, why is everyone into it? I mean, it's interesting. but and And so therefore, I kind of think people should be forgiven for finding that utterly, utterly fascinating. And the stories that... Can, and of course, there's lots of archive. You know, we know lots about it, so that you're able to understand it in a, in, a, in a richness. I mean, every time a new Holocaust history comes out, I read it, and and we just had one on the podcast. It's just another family, another survival story, another story about Auschwitz, and it's just totally amazing. It's like the most amazing story you're ever going to hear, and it's just one of a million books that will be written about about the Holocaust. Yeah, we were talking about World War Two and in the 20th century, but you have said that your passions lie in the 18th century. Is there anything in particular, is there anything quite specific about that? So if you were going to go write another book as a complete passion project on the 18th century, what would you write it? I think it would, I love maritime history and I'm I'm obsessed with maritime technology and how, I think think when I was growing up, there was a bit too much great man history and there was a bit too much Whiggish history about Britain's ascent to sort of global hegemony and I think I'm kind of increasingly fascinated by like why these random Western European nations managed to sort of conquer to a large extent the rest of the world uh, with you know astonishing impacts for both those societies and the ones that that found themselves uh, bearing the brunt of that advance and and I'm very interested by you know the technology like is it is it is it just canon and and heavier built Carvel ships and, and rigging and navigation. Like I'm, that's so, and then when you're living through an era where technology is proving so decisive, again, in, in the eighties and nineties, maybe obviously it was a time of rapid technological change, but it wasn't being rammed down our throats. Like, you know, the Russians just hacked the U S election by using Facebook, you know, the, the, like we, we're very attuned these days, the idea that, and actually seemingly quite a small tweak to technology. So someone releasing a, a kind of a, a new social media platform um, can can actually have kind of geo-strategic effect. And so I, I do wonder increasingly, like, you know, we, we, when I was growing up, it was all British, we, we thought it was all about kind of Protestantism and the rule of law and venture capital and patent law and innovation. It was all these kind of things in a kind of virtuous circle. But I'm, I'm, but I increasingly wonder whether we're just overlooking some of the more prosaic reasons for that kind of explosion of Western European 
um, hard power and 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 trading might and industrial might and stuff like that. So, but I, if I had to write a book about the, uh, the 18th century, I'd probably stick with the Seven Years' War because I've already got a bit of a head start, and I'd write kind of a probably a global history of the Seven Years' War, which would be is is really fascinating to me. But yeah, but that's a you know that's a big mission, and, and writing a book is is you know so well, uh, you know I'm I'm a, you know I'm a dad and I'm quite I'm quite you know I'm quite hands-on and I think to turn your house into your place of work like to when you're writing a book it's in your own house and that is you, you I think to a certain extent you bring down a curtain but between you and those around you and I'm kind of unwilling to do that just at the moment my kids are at a great they, my kids quite like me to be honest they haven't <laughs> quite reached the age where they realize what a loser I am so that I'm just sort of keen to max that out and so at the moment my career is short sharp bursts of a broadcasting and that suits me a little bit better i think mm, mm. how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So what do you think our kids um, will be looking at in the future when it comes to history. I mean, there's some great things like horrible histories, which I love. But, um, you know, we're talk, look, talking about apps and podcasts and various tech trends going forward. I think you're really good, actually, at seeing what sort of things are coming up with that. How do you see the learning and the um, portrayal of history 
Well, I just think VR's VR's going to explode. I mean, surely, mm. I just can't. Yeah. I just think the the you know you will be going into Tutankhamun's tomb. You will be seeing what you know uh, Renaissance Florence looked like. You will be watching the great fleet of of uh, of early fifteenth century China depart and return. Um, from its voyages, you, you, you know, I, I think that you, I, I just think that is obviously, you know, the gaming community are way ahead of us at the moment. And I've done a little bit of work recently with some of the gamers who draw their inspiration from historical stories. And it's just, I mean, that's just the future. It's just, a, yeah, of course, a like the Assassin's Creed type. I mean, there was, that was yeah. into a movie, wasn't it? Yeah. That sort of yeah. And, and that's right. So I, and I guess it would get cheaper to produce. But at the moment, it's still a huge barrier to entry. So like, I would love to create a VR experience where, you go and look at what you know that I don't know the Boston Tea Party, right? But actually, that is still it's still quite unachievable. Whereas making video of me poncing about or you and I recording this podcast, that's that's obviously that's become very much more realizable on a small budget. So that that I think will will have a massive impact. And taking people to places um, without them having to go there will will be will be huge. Will be huge. And an experience I've had with my kids when I go, to, I was in the Dutch Maritime Museum the other day with my kids in Amsterdam the Rijks Museum, and they got a VR experience there that is absolutely astonishing. And my kids just could not believe their eyes. You know, they just loved it. Uh, and in, as a way of transmitting historical information and, and art and other things to kids, it's just... It's just it's really powerful. So it's powerful. really, really powerful stuff. Yeah, so that would be, that's, my, that's my guess. Will audio survive? I don't know, these podcasts. You know, my, my guess is that audios might struggle to survive uh, self-driving cars because... Once people can once people can sit in the back and just chill, will they do, will they listen to as much audio? I don't know. People, the audio revolution is kind of interesting. Moments so that might sustain. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, so I um, that's what they. I, I, but and also, great lesson from history is that there is almost no point predicting because there'll be something <laughs> that we haven't worked out yet. True. If the last thirty years are anything to go by. Absolutely. And you, so you must get people going. How do I get to do what you do all the time? Like whenever you go to schools or unis, or you probably just get loads of emails um, and tweets. Um, what advice? Because I know that that's the sort of thing that people who are listening to this will want to know. What sort of advice do you have for people who would like to do that? Well, in the old days, that was hard actually, because it was in the old days, it was just the ridiculously random and, and deeply unfair choice, you know, a capricious nature of television that just somehow you'd bump into someone on a tube or, you know, I remember, you know, Joe Frost is, was super nanny and it's because she was a nanny to a TV exec's kids and he just thought, let's make a program with you. You know, like it's, <laughs> it was it was that capricious and my career is absolutely, I, I owe everything to that that complete, you know, swing fate basically. However, I think today is a bit easier because today we do, we I can at least broadcast we can at least and you know it's amazing how many people say to me i really want to do what you do and i say the first thing i say well oh god send me some videos that you've done and and 99 of them haven't done videos and i'm like oh okay well it, it, now that now that you've got a supercomputer in your pocket with an editing function on it and a, ability to shoot 4k i mean nearly nearly everyone's got that um well then do like do something like go to do go and stand outside a like a do go and film yourself somewhere enthusing about it and being interested in it and chop it together and in a way that has been a revolution in the old days you had to like pay someone a huge amount of money to make a show reel which was a gigantically kind of narcissistic thing to do now just go and do it when next time you're out visiting hms victory or you're out 
looking at something, go, go and just get a mate, turn on, turn a camera on you and see if you like it and see if you're any good at it. And then, and then Dropbox it to a few people and get, get some ideas, get some feedback. Yeah, I remember doing that for History for You, for History Hit. And initially I felt like, so, I felt so embarrassed. I know, it is definitely <laughs> embarrassing. Actually, actually, after a while, it, 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 it gets fun. And it's like, you do get, you do get kind of used to it. And um, God, I remember, I remember doing it when my daughter was strapped to me. She was practically newborn. And I went and did this little sort of five, ten minute thing at some Viking festival or something. And it was it was really fun. So I think that's really good. I <laughs> I think that's really good advice actually to just just go for it. And if it's something that you're passionate about and you, you really want to do, then you can you can just do it. You don't need to wait for somebody else to give you the go yeah. ahead. I'm following several people on Instagram at the moment who are just private citizens, but they are incredibly, incredibly engaging and and uh and and Instagram, the new every new update makes it more like i mean people that people need to realize there is more usability on instagram now today than i was able to access at the start of my television career with all the backing at the bbc you know there are you can animate instagram you can live stream you can broadcast around the world live you can patch people into that broadcast you know from with your phone like that is you you have the resources at your fingertips that we could only dream about at the BBC at the start of my career. So so really, I think if you if people do want to do that and pursue history in a, in, in 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 that kind of way, I think just 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 start trying and and messing about with whether it's live streaming or whether it's you know wonderful you know um, posts that that have elements of text elements of audio elements of video elements of animation none of the above you know try try stuff try stuff and then and and then share it start a podcast start a podcast start a podcast everyone's got one these days anyway um so hidden histories we have to talk about something hidden that you know about. I bet you know so many hidden histories. Where can you give me a few amazing locations that you've been to that you think that are a little bit off the beaten track? Because you've you filmed in some of the most incredible places. Right. Are we talking we're talking the UK. Yeah, let's do a couple of because it'd be nice for people to be able to go to them, but um but we can talk about some other fan, okay, fan places. Okay, well, well, I mean, you know, there are so many. There are so many. I mean, it's just actually it's bewildering. But I think We've got, I mean, I just think the ones that I went to the other day, I mean, I think Chatham, the, the dockyards at Chatham are kind of undervalued, a, a totally remarkable place to, to learn about our maritime history, not, not as now famous as 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 your as your sort of big ships in big historic ships in Bristol and Portsmouth and London, but but Chatham has got an amazing the rope the rope walk at Chatham is is simply one of the great national treasures of this country. This this giant factory setting to, to 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 knit ropes together for the ships of the royal navy and that that and they use bicycles to get from one end to the other it's it's completely oh, wow. extraordinary so that's worth seeing i've just come back from the channel islands which have got you know the 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 fact that they're the only part of the only sort of british territory in the second world war they're actually occupied by the germans and the stories there people were sent off to prison and death camps on the continent the landscape was upended by the Germans. It was fortified, straddling concrete and iron. And there, it's the only place I've ever been there where you get Henry VIII 
Henry VIII fortification is next to Hitler. Hitler and Henry. <laughs> so everyone used to tease about the GCSE syllabus and talk about it's just Hitler and the Henrys. Well, I've never been anywhere where you get clearer sense of the Hitler and the Henrys than, yeah. say, say, the fort at uh, the oh, castle yeah. at, uh, at uh, Guernsey, uh, which is extraordinary. One of the last places and also one of the last places in Britain and its islands, broadly sort of broadly defined, um, which held out for King Charles during the Civil War as well. Okay, so what else hidden histories? I mean, I think I think Britain's industrial history actually is is hidden, and especially to Southerners and to lots of of probably sort of university trained historians, we we don't pay enough attention to the kind of slew of yeah, extraordinary that, yeah. industrial museums and heritage sites across, particularly across the north of England and up into the uh, the central belt of Scotland. You know, Ironbridge is simply the best. Yeah, the architecture is, yeah, is, is, is speaks volumes. Incredible. And, you know, what happened in Ironbridge and what happened in the West Midlands and, and elsewhere, you know, the fact that, the you know, the first intercity railway, you know, the Man Manchester, the fact that the, the rocket is still in Manchester. Still, well, sorry, there's, you know, it's the, the fact that that stretch of railway line is still in use, the fact that um, we that, that was the first intercity railway between Liverpool and Manchester in 1830, those, those are crucibles of the modern world you know that the the the, the, the economic the sort of industrial advances here with profound consequences obviously for for well for every in every aspect of the world but increasingly we're now obviously really in climate as well but so i i, I think you know whether it's quarry bank mill outside manchester whether it is um in the west midlands yeah Ironbridge, there are there are just glorious glorious places to kind of see that that lost that well yeah and to a certain extent lost history but um and, and a history that matters to everyone living on the planet today so those are there, there's some other there's some other ones i'd say thanks dan and what are you up to at the moment was there anything what i'm up to at the moment i'm yeah, just what are you up to now? Get, trying to keep the podcast ticking along trying to get the tv channel up and running we've got we've uh, it's quite exciting we're doing all right on the old tv channel so yeah it's good no things are going well and just really keen, basically, to try and do everything. What I've, I mean, I've, I've gone to quite a lot of effort with the TV channel and podcast. Everything, but all I've ever wanted to do was a way to support me and a, a team and people like you and other presenters, of course, and historians, just to just to keep putting great history content out there. And and whether it was going to be via YouTube or via apps on iPads or podcasts or, or vid, video on demand channels with subscription. Um, the, I, you know, I'm not that fussed. I just wanted to get it done. So at the moment, we're kind of we're realizing that goal, and it's amazing. You know, it used to be even just two years ago for the you know the this is we got the anniversary of the liberation of Belson coming up, and it used to be that I would wait to be sent there by the BBC. But now, you know, the the organisers have asked me to go on just as me as history hit as 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 the you know as this new organ as this new kind of broadcaster. And that is the best because then there's no oh, one telling great. you what you can't yeah, do and really can great. do and yeah, edit you absolutely. and all that kind of thing. So it's great. Oh, that's wonderful. And for um, anybody, is it, because this is the Christmas special, anybody who's looking to buy a history-related Christmas gift. Well, thank you. Yeah, Go to shop.historyhit.com. There are, there are some calendars on there, which I've got to say uh, are... <laughs> We're now into double figures selling calendars for next year. Are they year. all of you? Are they? Is no, every they're not all of image? me. One is of me. <laughs> the one is not of me. Oh, okay. we, you can choose and you can decide which one to buy. So we've got to get the calendar. No, anyway. So yeah, you've got lots of weird historical stuff on there for Christmas. So if you're in this, if you listen to this, 
in the wraps, Crispy's got a desperate last minute gift you need to buy. Go up there, you're going to sort all, it sorts you out. Um, so thank you very much. And then obviously, I'll be looking forward to reading your new book in the new year, Helen. <laughs> um, yes, on that note, I think it's time to uh, say goodbye. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, right no, 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 no. My new book, absolutely. I did, I'm, that's exactly what I'm about to go and do. I'm going to go and do some writing. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Dan. You've been amazing. And, you know, you've been a massive help to me in, in my in forging my career. And I think you will be an inspiration to many other young people, many other young historians. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'll have you on the podcast again soon to talk about um, all of your new projects and see how history here has developed maybe in a, in a few months or a year or so. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.